thought it was a good reminder of what we celebrate today, but also, um, I think, pretty uh, honest about the divide between generations when it comes to appreciating the significance of what Memorial Day is all about. And I'll be honest, I'll put myself in the generation that probably doesn't appreciate it as much as uh, we should. I still get confused sometimes on the difference between Memorial Day, Veterans Day, and Labor Day. I think I've got the first two figured out. I still don't know what Labor Day is all about. But either way, we don't often stop to think about what they're for because more often we're concerned about the fact that there's no school, that we might have a good opportunity to have a cookout or even a chance to go camping. And that's the way we kind of look at the the time off on days like today. But this morning, I want to take a little bit of time to maybe uh, consider the significance of what this is all about, what Memorial Day represents. And so to do that, I want to give you a little history. Memorial Day was originally known as Decoration Day. And it began back in the 1800s after the Civil War when the people were called upon to decorate the graves of the soldiers who died during that battle. And they would decorate those graves with wreaths or flowers or flags, and that's why it was known as Decoration Day. What's interesting about that is, do you know how many men died in the Civil War? 625,000 in the Civil War. By far the greatest loss of life in any single battle in the history of America. In fact, the Civil War represents almost half of all deaths of all Americans in every war that we've ever fought. It's a lot, isn't it? And so that's why it was originally begun. It's humbling to consider the fact that the greatest loss of life in our history is when we were fighting each other. Well, in 1971, Decoration Day became a federal holiday, and it changed the name from what it was known as before then to what we now know as Memorial Day. It was a day set aside specifically to honor those who have died in the field of battle. When it was first celebrated in the 1800s, known as Decoration Day, Arlington National Cemetery had about 20,000 graves. Today, there are over 400,000. And so Memorial Day is a day set aside to honor those who have made the ultimate sacrifice. And we need to remember that. And I think as we think about that, as we've seen in the video, it it kind of evokes a variety of emotions. And I want to kind of think through what that looks like. The first one I think we see primarily in the older generation. It's a a response of honor. It's a deep gratitude. And more often than not, it's because they are most likely to have that personal connection. Like the guy said in the video, he says, I do this to honor a buddy of mine. Somebody that he served with and who didn't come home. And and he did this to honor him because he said, you remember he said, I don't ever want to forget that. And, And so Memorial Day for a lot of people evokes this emotion of honor, of deep gratitude and appreciation. People that have this gratitude because of this personal connection are often compelled to action. They do things like raise a special flag on a certain day or or go to a a ceremony or to uh, wear their military um, insignias. I was at an appraisal protest this week and I sat in the lobby with some folks and and there was a guy wearing a a Navy commander hat. 
Well, somebody asked him about that hat, and he said, yeah, I come from a three-generation family. He says, my father was a Navy commander, I'm a Navy commander, and my son is a Navy commander. And so they asked him, well, tell me where you served. And he went into great detail to describe his service in the military because it was honorable. It was something that he respected and held in great gratitude. That's because he had a personal connection. I think probably more often than the emotion of honor for many of us, we have a reaction of of appreciation. Uh, Because we don't have that personal connection, we have a respectful admiration, but from a distance. Um, We look at Memorial Day as an important holiday, but if you're like me, I'm probably thinking more about a cookout than I am about a sacrifice that people made, and that's unfortunate. But when we don't have that personal connection, sometimes that's the way it looks. And so we respect, but it's from a distance. And because of that, we're not compelled to any particular action. We may not raise a flag or go to a ceremony at the Lubbock Veterans War Memorial. And I bet if I say that, some of you are thinking, we have a war memorial? Yeah, we do. And so we can celebrate it but it's often from a distance the third uh, response that I would say is uh, indifference it could be honor it could be appreciation or it could be indifference now indifference can be innocence because I look at the young man in this video and I would say that was his response it was a response of indifference it's not like he didn't care he just didn't have any connection this was his grandpa's deal right and so it can have that innocence but a real no connection at all, not even from a distance. It's somebody else's thing. But sometimes that indifference can be even more of an emotion, and sometimes we see that as hostility. We've seen that in the response to war in our history in America. Some have looked at World War II and said, that is a war that brought a nation together. And then they look at Vietnam and say, that is a war that tore a nation apart. If you think about the reaction to that, when the soldiers came back from World War II, they were welcomed with a ticker tape parade. It was like a celebration of heroes. When the men came back from Vietnam, they came back to protest. They were seen more with disgust than appreciation. And and even in our lifetime, we've personally experienced in recent years the division that war creates. Some look at the war in in Desert Storm and say, you know, there was supposedly weapons of mass destruction, which I think he shipped up to Syria, but that's another story. But either way, you look at that and you say, "That, that, that was, some people would say, we needed to be involved in that. That was an evil regime and we did the right thing. Some say, no, we should have never been involved. Some look at Afghanistan and they say, Yes, we should have gone after the terrorists who were responsible for 9-11. Others say, no, it was a mistake. Never should have done it. Others look at Israel. We've seen this in recent months. And some were on the side of, hey, Israel just needs to take care of their own business. We don't have anything to do with them. And the other ones say, no, we have an important alliance there. And we need to support that nation. My point is not to settle the differences. My point is to show you that they exist. And here's why. I believe they are important because we see a very similar set of reactions when we talk about the sacrifice made on the cross. Don't we? You have emotions of honor. 
appreciation and indifference. They all exist. In fact, if you look at the letter of 1 Corinthians, you're going to see all three of them represented by Paul in this letter. And so I want us to look at that together. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and go over to verse 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. I'm going to begin with this response of, of indifference, and I'll show you what I mean as we look at these two verses. Verse 22 of chapter 1 says, For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. I believe those two descriptors are kind of on both ends of the spectrum of indifference. The stumbling block is an offense. It's something that draws this emotion of, of anger. Foolishness is the indifference of, ah, it's not that big of a deal, it doesn't matter. Both ends, but within that spectrum of indifference. For the Jews, it was unthinkable to consider the Messiah to have been bloodied and crucified on a cross. They expected him to, to reign in victory, to, to rule over their enemies. And the cross was an offense to those who expected a ruling king. And so they looked at it with hostility. They saw it as something that, that was degrading to consider that the Messiah would actually be crucified on a cross. They didn't want somebody who called them to love their enemies. They wanted somebody who came to destroy their enemies. They didn't want somebody who was interested in washing feet. They wanted to win the war. The cross was an offense when there's a quest for power and control. To the Greeks, the cross was foolishness. <laughs> and just think about this in the context of what their religious system was. They celebrated and worshipped a lot of Greek gods, didn't they? And think about those gods. Think about how powerful they were. You had Zeus, right, who would send down lightning bolts from the heavens when somebody didn't do something he wanted them to do, right? You had Poseidon, who was known as the earth shaker. Why? Because he was responsible for earthquakes, then you had Apollos, and we learned about Apollos because he was a part of that worship system in Corinth. Well, Apollos is the one who drove a golden chariot to pull the sun across the sky. And then there's Jesus, hanging on a cross. To the Greeks, it was a joke. Who would want to worship such weakness when there was such strength in these other gods? So it's possible to look at the cross with indifference, to see it as an offense when it doesn't measure up to what you expect it to be or to consider it as no big deal at all because you see something far greater somewhere else. It could be indifference. Now, I don't expect in a group like this who's here on a morning like this for many people to fit into that category. I think probably most of us are in a different category. It's the category of appreciation where we can look at the cross and appreciate the sacrifice, but, but we're not necessarily compelled to any specific action. It's what I call a, a disconnected respect from a distance. And I think when you look at the city of Corinth and the church in Corinth specifically, this is the predominant attitude of that church body. 
most of their questions seem to justify that respect from a distance. They liked the idea of salvation. They just didn't want to be inconvenienced by it, if at all possible. So just think about some of the things that we've walked through already. We talked about meat sacrificed to idols. Why? That was something they felt like they could justify doing in order to fit in. Because they didn't want to be set apart. Divorcing an unbelieving spouse was a quick way to uh, get out of a bad marriage. Taking a brother to court was an easy way to run away from differences instead of doing the hard work of reconciliation. Even when there was an incestuous immorality existing within the life of that body, instead of confronting the issue, they chose to look the other way. They could appreciate the sacrifice on the cross. They just didn't want to be inconvenienced by it. It was an attitude of comfortable Christianity that I think pervades much of the church today. It's what I'll call customized Christianity, where you have a religious system that fits into the way you really want to live life anyway. But you don't want to be inconvenienced by it. It's an appreciation that doesn't compel you to any particular action or to make any great sacrifice because you can respect it from a distance. The third one is that of honor. And I want to think about what we just talked about in this idea of appreciation compared to the example of Paul and what I believe to be this response of honor. Look, if you will, at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. I want you to compare the devotion that's demonstrated in the life of Paul to the other two possible responses that we've talked about. Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I become as a Jew, that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it this is a life that is lived in a way that brings honor to christ a life not motivated by selfish desires but in fact is motivated to serve the needs of others this is a person who has a deep connection to the cross and that connection motivates them compels them to certain actions look at verse 23 again I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a fellow partaker of the gospel? Well, I think to to answer that question, we need to first decide what's the gospel? What's he referring to there? As a church, we 
believe that there was a creator God who became flesh and dwelt among us. He sacrificed his life in order to forgive our sins. He was buried and he rose again, seated at the right hand of God, and he will in fact come again and will one day reign forever, ultimately destroying all sin and make the world right. That's the gospel. It's about the one who entered in, who gave everything, and will come again. That's our Savior. And that's his story. And so if we're going to be a, a fellow partaker, as Eugene Peterson would say, it's not something that we just want to talk about. It's something that we want to be in on. We want to be a part of. And so like Jesus, we want to enter into the lives of people who have endured suffering and pain in order to give a message of hope, give a message of comfort and peace. It's willing to make great sacrifice on behalf of others. Right now, I'm thinking of Greg Miller and his sons who are going to the Pakistani border to share the good news of Jesus Christ in a very broken part of the world. You do not do that unless you have a deep, heartfelt connection to the cross of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the stories I've told you out of the book, Killing Christians. Remember I shared with you the one about the people who lived in Syria who had every chance and every justifiable reason to leave that place. But they chose to stay, knowing full well that they were very likely going to die as martyrs. You don't do that unless you have a deep, heartfelt connection to the cross. These are people who show honor because when they look at the cross, they say like that man did in the video, I know what he did for me. And I don't ever want to forget that. That, that deep personal connection compels people to specific, meaningful actions. So here's the obvious question. Which one best describes you? Is it indifference? Whether it's anger, frustration, or not that big of a deal? Is it appreciation where you recognize it, but you don't quite get close enough to do anything big or special? You just respect it from a distance? Or is it honor? Where there's such a deep, heartfelt connection that it compels Tells you to obedience, to sacrifice, to a life that looks different. And here's the good news. You don't have to choose your answer because your life has already revealed it. So it's real easy for us to sit back and pick one of those categories. But really, honestly, we can just look at our life and it'll tell us which one we've chosen. Now, as I tell you that, I, I want you to know that I'm not here to make you feel guilty because every single one of us can look at that and tell ourselves, you know what, there are ways that I can grow in my life to better honor my Savior. Every one of us, myself included. And so my desire for us this morning is to take that heart and say, okay, then what are the ways that we can take one step closer to living a life that honors Christ? What would that look like? And so let's think about that together and consider what that might be in our lives. Here's the first category that I want you to consider. Maybe you 
take that step by doing this. You grow in your personal connection with Christ. Instead of respecting from a distance, you, you draw in close. And let me give you a real practical confession from my own life. There are three websites that I visit routinely. Fox News, ESPN, and Red Raiders. Okay? I want to know what's happening in the world at large. I'm interested in the world of sports, and I'm interested in, in Red Raider Nation. Okay? And so typically I can get all the information I need from those three things in about 20 minutes. But here's where I have to be careful. It's real easy for me in the morning to walk up, and there's my computer. I go to that first side, and then I go to that second side, and now 20 minutes into it, I begin to look and see, oh, I've got some emails that I haven't answered yet. I need to do that. And, oh, since I'm looking at my emails, now I'm on to my task list. And before I've noted, I've given a devotional nod to God, maybe, but I haven't made any deep connection at all. And so maybe I'm the only one who falls into that pattern sometimes, but I'm asking you to consider that if that might be true for you as well. And it'll be real hard for us to make a deep connection to Christ if we let a lot of these other things precede it. And so here's my encouragement to you. Maybe we grow in that connection with Christ by reprioritizing the investment we make in that relationship. And here's something that came to my mind that I want you to consider for yourself. It's this statement. Begin my day and spend my day with a God-centered heart. See, I don't want us to fall into the trap where we put God on our task list and we have that quiet time in the morning, we check it off and then we go do whatever else we want to do. What I'm saying is we begin our day with a God-centered heart that says, my most important goal in all my life is to be deeply connected to my Savior. And I want to begin each day pursuing that relationship, spending time in His Word, praying humbly before Him. And then, when I go throughout my day, I want to be conscious of His presence all around me in, in ways that He may be answering those prayers that I have just asked of Him. So when I'm driving, sometimes I'll listen to the radio, and sometimes I just need to turn it off. So that I can spend some time having a conversation in my day with my Savior. So that there's an ongoing recognition of His presence in my life. A continuous conversation of prayer. So to begin my day and to spend my day with a God-centered heart. Here's something that's interesting. We had our men's retreat recently and I asked uh, all the men who attended to uh, give some feedback on new format and things we did a little differently this year. And uh, uh, most people really appreciated the format, thought that was good. But one thing, whether you were for or against it, that almost to a person, every single person said, was, you know what, one thing I really missed this year that we've done in the years past um, that we didn't do this year was solitude. For that one hour or two hours where you just allow us to go be alone with the Lord in that time of solitude and and I want you to know we took that to heart. And as we think about next year, we're going to do something to make sure that's there. But i got a question for you. Why is that so important in our lives? And as I've thought about it in my life, here's why I think that's true. I think it's true because sometimes I feel like we believe we have to go to a retreat to actually do it. 
as if it can't exist in the normal routine of our life. But that's not true. You don't need the men's retreat to go be alone with Jesus, to set aside something for an hour or two hours and just sit at his feet, pray, spend time in his word. So maybe that's where you need to begin. So I don't know what it might look like for you. I've shared some things that the Lord's put on my heart. But maybe the way we begin to honor Christ a little bit more than we are right now is to pursue more deeply that connection, that relationship with Him. To begin my day and to spend my day with a God-centered heart. Here's another area. Maybe we need to grow in our personal sacrifice for His mission. Maybe that's the next right thing for us to do. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever been to visit one of the missionaries on the wall out there in the foyer? Raise your hand. Okay, so a few of you. Maybe that's your next right thing. Maybe you need to sit down and talk together as a family about what you might do to go spend some time and encourage one of those people. Some of them live outside the United States. Some of them live inside the United States. Some of them live right here in your own town. So maybe you need to sit down and decide what it might look like to go and encourage one of those people. And I know that it would be a great encouragement to them, and I hope you go with that heart and mind, but let me make a promise to you. When you go and make that commitment, you will be the one who comes back blessed. I can assure you. Anybody, I'm looking and I'm seeing the people who raise their hand, they're doing this. Because it's true. So maybe that's where you begin is by taking some initiative. Or maybe it's a little closer to home. How many of you have neighbors around you? Raise your hand. Oh, look, it's everybody. How many of you have spent time sharing Christ with one of those neighbors? Good. Yeah, it is. It's our culture in which we live in. But I tell you what, though. Here's what I've found to be true. The more you pray for those people around you, the more the opportunities you will see to speak truth into their lives in a loving and caring way. And so maybe what it looks like is you just have them over for your cookout tomorrow (laughs) or just for a meal that you celebrate. I can't tell you how significant it is to just invite somebody into your home and share a meal with them. So maybe the way that we begin to impact our lives to draw closer to that life that honors Christ is pursuing that connection, but also making a sacrifice for his mission. Maybe you need to go visit one of our missionaries. Maybe you need to visit with one of your neighbors. There was a time uh, about a year ago, it was a little over a year ago, so not this past missions conference, but the missions conference before that, when Doug Livingston, uh, the president of Camino Global, came. And you'll remember, he made a very important observation while he was here. He went out and looked at our wall of missionaries, and he asked us the question as a church in looking at the demographic, the age of those people on that wall, and he said, where's the next generation? And some of you were impacted by that. And so let me ask you, what have you done about it? And so one of the things that you might consider doing, and I would ask you to pray about this, is even if in some small way the Lord has put a little tug on your heart to perhaps consider what it might look like to be involved in mission, 
is to take some time and sit down with the missions committee. Not because you're making a commitment. You're not telling them, this is what I'm going to do with my life. You're inviting them into that decision-making process because every big decision is best made in the context of community. So maybe your next right thing is just to sit down and visit with the missions community to say, hey, this is what's on my heart. Would you pray through this with me? I'm convinced that if you'll do that, the Lord will make it very clear where he is leading your life because he speaks very plainly through his people when we come together with that heart. Here's the third thing. Maybe we need to grow in our commitment to his people. The next right thing for some of us is out there. The next right thing for some of us is right here in our own church family, plugging into the life and ministry of this body of believers. You've heard me say this before, and I want you to take it to heart. Showing up on Sundays is not enough. You fulfill a religious duty, but you don't build relationships. And the body of Christ is built on relationships. When you were introduced through salvation into faith in Christ, it introduced you into a family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we will see very clearly in the coming weeks, as we walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and into 13, everything about our life in Christ is built within our life with one another. And you cannot grow in your relationship with a Christ apart from his body. It's part of his design. And we just can't function apart from his design. And so live deeply within that relationship. So moving closer to a life that honors Christ. Maybe it's growing in our personal connection. Maybe it's growing in our personal sacrifice. Maybe it's growing in our devotion to his people. We've got a little time this morning. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes of that silence that you asked for. And I want you to consider each of these three areas. And whether it's one or one in each, I want you to consider for yourself what the Lord might be placing on your heart to move one step closer toward a life that truly honors Him. So, just bow your heads and spend some time considering that question, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, I fully recognize that nothing I say has the power to make any meaningful impact in anybody's life whatsoever. I might plant, I might water, as others do the same, but you, O oh God, are the one who causes the growth. You're the one who changes lives. You're the one who transforms hearts. So I pray for each and every one of us, myself included, that we would not walk out of here the same as we walked in, that there would be deep, heartfelt convictions by your Spirit, impacting our life, that draw us closer into our relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. We would see those things being evidenced in how we live our life. Our personal connection to grow deeper in our relationship with you. Our personal sacrifice and what we do for the sake of your mission. And our personal commitment to this body of believers that you have called us to. I don't know what that looks like in the hearts and lives of individuals here this morning, but I pray that whatever your spirit has put on their heart, that it would be protected from the distraction of the enemy, and that it would be planted deeply, watered thoroughly, and that it would grow strong 
for your glory and your namesake. And this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Have a great weekend.